This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Joining me today is my friend and co-host, Jennifer Sage. How are you, Jennifer? I'm good. How are you this morning? I'm well, and I need to tell everybody how grateful I am to being able to drag you off the ski hills of Vail. <laughs> yes, it's. Uh, I don't think I can ski today if I wanted. My legs are so tired. No, that's okay, but it sounds like something you wait for all year, and then once it's here, you have to take advantage of it, right? Yeah, well, you know, that's originally that's why I moved here 15 years ago, so... Some things suffer when there's good snow. <laughs> what was and that? It's been incredible this year. What was the line that you said that that when it snows you have no friends and any appointments are abandoned? On a powder day, there are no friends on a powder day. Everybody's just doing their own thing. Exactly. No waiting. Well, joining us today is Bob Rebeck. Some of you that frequent the indoor cycling forums who know him as Spin Bob. Bob has written a a pair of articles for the spinning newsletter about mentorship, finding a mentor and also creating a mentor program uh, for your club or organization. And I'd like to bring him on joining us from your New Jersey, right, Bob? Yes, I am, John. Well, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Wherever here is. Wherever here is. Well, I'm in Minneapolis. Jennifer's in Edwards, actually. Isn't that right? Edwards, Colorado, right near Vail. Right near Vail and New Jersey. Well, we're kind of spread out around the country. Bob, what led you to uh, write these articles on mentoring? Well, one of the things that occurred to me, I think I was out in my front yard raking leaves one day and just sort of thinking about what kind of connections people make through the indoor cycling programs, regardless of uh, what certification people might have, and just how they get ready to get up in front of a class. And it sort of dawned on me that there are a segment out there that are not necessarily as comfortable as, say, Jennifer is up in front of a group of people after tons and tons of experience and making various kinds of statements. And, you know, how do those people get involved, get the confidence that they need to get up in front of a group. And I just happened to be involved in a mentoring program, and my, and my business uh, was mentoring a, a young man in my workplace. And, you know, I just sort of, those two links just kind of clicked. And I said, well, you know, this is something I think I should share. So you developed an article. The first one is really based on just finding a mentor. And i presuming the, the idea is that you're a new instructor interested in doing a good job, but not quite knowing where to get the experience. Mentorships have been around for a while. I mean, they're very established in in the corporate world where people get ahead by getting some experience from somebody more senior to them, kind of a buddy system, uh, you might say. It's still getting its foot in the door in uh, the fitness industry. So not everybody has access to that. And I had become involved on the forums, as you mentioned, and it occurred to me as well that you see a lot of the kind of information out there that you would get from a mentorship 
on, on the forums, and then it's a great place to turn to when you don't have a physical person near you to bounce ideas off of. Now, Jennifer, you've told me that you are involved in some mentoring. Yes, I ran the program at my club for eight years, gave that up a couple years ago. But as the program director, when we had new instructors who needed additional guidance, mentoring, I would have them come to my class or I would go to their class and sit down afterwards and go over profiles and why we did what we did and what, what should be changed, etc. So I didn't call it that. I just I just called it, you know, hey, I'll help you out. Now that I'm no longer running the program, I'm still kind of, uh, I wouldn't call myself consultant to them because I just teach there, but we have a new instructor. She needs guidance. So I am working with her one-on-one. She's coming to my classes and she's just started to teach part of them, like 20 minutes and then 30 minutes. So kind of an unofficial mentoring program, one-on-one. Are you, are you sitting up together on a bike? We have a podium that's pretty small, so we actually have to change. You know, like I'll, I'll start off the class. I would either give her the, the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes or the end of the class. And so we'll make that change and try to make it as seamless as possible for the students. It would be better if we had a larger stage and we can put both bikes up there. Okay, so let's say I'm a new instructor and I've got my certification and I'm scared to death. What's your recommendation, you know, as far as finding a mentor? Well, I think one of the first things you can do is you can look around the facility where you teach. Chances are you were probably a student before you became an instructor and that you have some instructors that you look up to. I mean, now that you've taken a certification, you are more familiar in depth with the program than you were, say, just as a, a, a student. So you have a little bit more... Uh, maturity or a little bit more information to maybe to pick from. Maybe your favorite instructor as a student wasn't necessarily the most um, technically correct instructor, but you know you didn't know that. You, you went, they gave a good class, you got a good workout, and you went home and you really dug the program and said, oh, I want to do that. So that's one thing. So you can find somebody. You, you can also, I suggest to people, check out all the instructors either at your club, you can get a guest membership at a facility in your town or the next town over so people won't necessarily know who you are and you can get a guest membership for a couple weeks for free or for a nominal fee and check out the instructors there and just see if somebody clicks with you. can just be an observer. It can be sort of a passive kind of mentorship where you're just observing sitting in the back of the class, taking notes or taking mental notes and writing it down after class. Or you can make the bold move and approach that person and say, hey, look, I'm a new instructor. I like the way you teach. Can I just sort of pick your brain? Do you do you have that kind of time? Most of the time, I've been fortunate. I've met some very generous people. Uh, in this industry, um, but people need to be aware that not everybody's time is as free as we would like it to be, and not everybody is comfortable taking somebody under their wing. You really have to want to have the time and the inclination to do that. 
it's kind of like asking somebody out on a date. So if you haven't had a lot of experience or success with that, I can understand the intimidation. You can definitely do it passively. And then, like I say, there's always the forums. This Spinning.com has an instructors and forum. Uh, there are a couple other instructors forums that are out there. You can find them on Google. Well, and I'll be and I'll be listing them on the post for this podcast. Okay, and that's a good thing. And I have been very fortunate for my profession, you know, my spinning professional life, to have maintained contact with a master instructor that I took my orientation for. Uh, Dixie Doville is one of the best master instructors in the master instructors core. She's been incredibly generous with her time. But people have to realize that master instructors' time is very limited. They spend a certain amount of time every month traveling, doing orientations. They have their own classes to teach most of the time. They also generally have their own professional life. So their their time is is very precious. And I wouldn't rely on a master instructor unless they happen to be your next-door neighbor to be your mentor. I also suggest that people try to keep contact with their master instructor, go to a conference like WSSC or ECA, make contact with a master instructor, and just try to stay in touch. I know I would be uh, flattered if someone were to ask me. How about you, Jennifer? I was just going to say that. After conferences, I've, I've had people ask me if they can contact me with specific questions, and, and I am always very flattered, and uh, I do try to you know give as much as my of my time as I, as I'm able to, in answering questions, um, leading them, you know, down the path that they're looking for, or, or even putting them in contact with a local master instructor nearby where they are. But you're right; I, it is very flattering. I think that most instructors would be very flattered if you approached them and said, "I really like the way you teach." Your approach with your students is something that I would like to learn how to do. And if you instigate your query with some, you know, really nice compliments, I don't think you'll have any problem finding someone willing to help you at least, you know, a little bit. Would somebody have more success trying to reach out to, you know, a senior instructor if they kind of really put it in a definable context? You know, meaning, can I show you my profile? Would you come to one of my classes? You know, would that be helpful, do you think? I think boundaries are or are always a good thing. Defining something rather than it being sort of a nebulous kind of, you know, stalking situation. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Well, Bob, and then that leads us right into your second article as far as starting a mentoring program. How would you suggest a club or organization get off the ground on something like that? Well, first, I think you have to determine what kind of program you want to have. You can have a formal program where participation is mandatory, or you can have an informal program kind of like what Jennifer is doing with some people at her club, where you target people who look like they need help, approach them, say, look, I can help you. Um, Or it can be some kind of hybrid where 
especially in bigger clubs, you don't have a lot of inexperienced instructors coming in. So somebody who's been teaching for five or six years may not need a, a long mentorship. It may be just here's an introduction on how our club works, what our rules are, how we expect you to behave with uh, your students, with the members. So, so there's a lot of flexibility depending upon club size uh, or, or the club's goal. You may just target newly certified instructors and say, we recognize that you need some help or we would like to encourage you to develop in a specific direction. So we're going to pair you up with one of our experienced instructors and they're going to help you be more comfortable in class. You know, it occurred to me as you were saying that as far as a, moving in a particular direction to helping some of these more group fitness oriented instructors move toward a more cycling specific type of instruction, that could be kind of a mentoring program as well, couldn't it? Sure, it definitely can. And like I say, it, one of the goals, I think, of mentoring is to help people find an optimal way to fit into the program. It's not creating Jennifer Sage clones, you know, that everybody is going to approach their class the way Jennifer might. Uh, you know, I'm sure Jennifer is very conscientious about helping people that she works with find their own voice, find their own taste in music, deal with the technical issues of putting a profile together, finding music, mixing music, class presence. Um, Jennifer up on a stage, if anybody's had an opportunity to, to take one of her workshops at a fitness conference, knows that you know she controls the room and she does it very well. If you can tap into a little bit of that because She's up in front on a stage in front of two or 300 people at a time. Generally, people are going to be, at the most, experience 10% of that. Um, so if you can tap into those kinds of qualities, then you know, you, you've got a good direction to head down the road with. The article you wrote, you list a number of steps. I think we've kind of decided why you want a mentoring program, but the next section you have as far as evaluating your instructors. Well, you want to make sure that the people that you're bringing in to the, into your program aren't going to see anything with any of the other instructors that contradict what you're trying to teach them. You don't want instructors in your program, if, they, if there are uh, contraindicated moves being used in some people's class or types of music or, or whatever, you, you need to sort of draw a baseline and make sure that you're new blood coming into your program isn't going to be tainted by um, some of the things that are going on. You may find that some of your current instructors need mentoring just as much as somebody fresh in off the street, and it's a good way to sort of make an assessment. Um, not Some clubs do either annual or quarterly evaluations of their instructors, there are forms out there. I I have an Excel sheet that I picked up somewhere that sort of, I think, is based on a spinning instructor's newsletter article. And, you know, it just sort of lists a lot of qualities of how people present themselves in class and whether they're meeting standards or not. If a club isn't evaluating their instructors regularly, I mean, that's a good place to start so that we know who the good instructors are and it's not just sort of word of mouth. You, you, 
generally tend to hear more complaints than you do good things, so you're not necessarily uh, have a gauge on what your instructors are doing in their classes. I have a suggestion, Bob, and forgive me if you've already thought of this, but this is like a third article for you. I have made mistakes as I have mentored people. I mean, it's one thing for me to get up in front of a group of, you know, a couple hundred instructors at a conference and at an orientation. No one taught me how to mentor, uh, except, you know, I just kind of figured it out myself and I made some mistakes in the process and actually made my mentee feel a little uncomfortable. So my suggestion is the next step is how to be a mentor. When to talk, when to not talk. Do you just sit in the class and not say anything? Do you you make an agreement beforehand how you're going to do this if you're going to take that person's class or if you're going to team teach? Have you thought about that as a, as the next edition of your series? No, I hadn't. But part of the article that I did write sort of presents a scenario on how mm-hmm. your program might work. And it was sort of geared towards smaller clubs. There is sort of a, a part of the program would to be create some type of manual that would spell out what the agreements are, what the relationship is, and how it is supposed to work. And there are things that you want to avoid. You're not trying to make somebody do things the way that you do them necessarily. You as the mentor, not you, Jennifer. So you have a manual that sort of spells out the relationship. And, and it can vary from organization to organization because not every club's goal is going to be exactly the same. Um, some clubs may be bringing people in um, on an infrequent basis or a way to have sort of a stable of substitutes. Some people are filling openings because their turnover is high. So... An agreement might be that a mentee would go to an instructor's class once a week, and that would last for maybe, say, two months. And then after that time period, the mentor would work the mentee into their class, um, help prepare the class for the next week, sit down, go through the music, prepare part of the profile to the point where um, the mentee is preparing the whole class, teaching the whole class, and then there would be some type of observational period where the mentor would essentially be turning the class over to the mentee and then sitting in the, sitting in the back of the room, making mental notes, and then sort of going through a debriefing after class to help the mentee sort of smooth out uh, the rough patches of road prior to actually teaching classes when when the the mentee is attending their mentor's classes, there would also be a similar debriefing period giving the mentee an opportunity to ask questions. Why did you do this? Why did you take that song? Why did you transition from this movement? Just, just an opportunity to ask questions. And I, I, that's to me, the sort of the basis of the mentor-mentee relationship is having somebody to ask questions and, and having somebody who knows 
the answers to certain things or is sort of out there as an example, not necessarily sort of a paragon in, in, in that sense, but somebody to follow who's breaking some ground for you so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I would think as well that it would be something where you're developing a comfort level. So there's, you know, more freer exchange of ideas and, and those type of things. Yeah, there is. And there's definitely sort of a knack to matching people up. Not everybody is going to, is compatible. It's, it's, it really yep. is, in, in a sense, kind of like finding a, a good date. There, right. there, there, are, there are people that should not be paired just for, for certain reasons. I, I would be very hesitant to, you know, there are some obvious situations in terms of age, in terms of gender age co- comparisons. I mean, so, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but you have to be very conscientious as a program director in terms of picking your mentors. They should want to be a mentor. It should be a voluntary thing. You can't make somebody be a mentor. Um, That is not the essence of the relationship. It's like telling somebody that they have to be charitable. If their normal inclination is not in that direction, obviously they're not the relation results of the relationship aren't going to work out. And then you need to pick people that are going to understand what their goal is and that it's very giving sort of almost like a a parent child kind of relationship, you know, where you take somebody in, teach them and then let them go out on their own. The person involved, the people involved need to know that I mean, I have a son, and he's always going to be my son, but he's not always going to be a child. So when he grows up, the relationship changes. It's still going to be a parent-child relationship, but it grows and expands. And that's kind of, of the way a mentor relationship works. I'll share with you the mistake I made for people who are considering to become mentors. Uh, hopefully, you won't make the same mistake I made and. Uh, someone I was mentoring a while back, we were going to co-teach this class. The one she had done previously, she really did a good job. I got there a little late because of a snowstorm, and so she was up preparing the stereo and the, the bike, and someone walks in. I didn't find this out until afterwards, but someone walks in and said, where's Jennifer? And And she looked kind of upset that, you know, there was a sub. And, you know, the, this person I was mentoring said, oh, she's she's coming. Uh, she wasn't at ease at all. She was very nervous to start thinking that people didn't want to wander there or whatever. So I show up. We start the class. And because of her nervousness, she had a very long period of not saying anything, which normally I like. But in this case, it was obvious that she was just nervous and she didn't really know what to say. So um, I think she did finally say something like, okay, let's climb. And I, I voiced, I said, seated or standing. And the fact that I just kind of, you know, I kind of took over for her in a way, uh, and that made her more nervous. 
and I was sitting in the very back and I wanted her to project her voice because our microphone wasn't working at the time. And so I kind of mimed, uh, project your voice, and that made her nervous. So this wasn't her best class. The one previous, like I said, was really good. So we sat down and talked afterwards, and she actually works in a uh, in an office situation where she uh, runs a whole department, so she's very, very professional about how she uh, deals with people. So she sat down with me. She said, may I ask you, Jennifer, if you would please withhold from saying anything to the end? It's just the way I worked better, and then I felt really bad because I hadn't asked prior. I should have made a, like Bob has been saying, you need to establish some rules beforehand, and and I didn't. And as a result, you know, it just made her more uncomfortable. So you really do need to sit down and talk about how you're going to work with this person when they're on stage. Maybe someone would like me to be in the back and, like, mime something if I want them to talk louder or say something or move on. That might work for someone, but you need to find out beforehand so you don't, you know, exacerbate their nervousness or, you know, it kind of reminded me, it's been 12 years since I was a new instructor, but it reminded me how nervous one gets up there. And um, we all, as a mentor, we really need to remember that. Those are all good points, Jennifer. And I think that as an organization is putting together their manual, those are definitely things that they can address in terms of comfort level. I think that in some senses and in some organizations, some people do it more naturally than others, that a certain amount of training for mentors is probably a good thing in in terms of... I think that would be an excellent article for you, Bob. You're so good at this. <laughs> in terms of, yeah, well, it, it's all about communication. Yep. We we like to, to joke in the newspaper business that um, our, our business is communication, and but we don't communicate very well internally. <laughs> but organizations can communicate very well, and individuals can learn to communicate with one another. And So, so yeah, you sort of have that date kind of relationship and you sort of have the parent-child kind of relationship and communication in in both of those situations are, are very good analogies to making those relationships work. I have one last question and I think the our listeners are going to want to know in your experience with mentoring or talking to other people who have been through mentoring programs is the mentee paid on average? Do you think they are paid, or is it something you're totally due? Uh, I'll tell you our ex- my experience at my club, but I'm just wondering in your situation. I didn't go into that just be- in, in my article just because there are so many variables um, depending upon club size and how the club is going to run their mentoring program. One scenario for some clubs may be that to get on our sub-list – from which we turn to first when it comes to filling an empty class. So to get on our sub-list, you need to go through our mentoring program. In in that sense, it's probably going to be unpaid, and it will probably be a shorter period. You would then get paid for subbing classes once the, the club was comfortable that you were of the quality of instructor or that you had the experience to be on their sub-list. Another scenario would be you're mentoring new employees, that your goal is to, say, 
um, pick a promising student and they pay for their orientation, you hire them as an instructor so they're getting paid, they mentor with somebody currently on staff, how the, men how the pay would be for the mentorship versus once you finish the program would be the club would probably have to figure that out and that would probably be a situation where it would be a bigger probably a chain exactly and that's the way it works in my club we are a boutique club and they would not pay the people I have mentored, they understand that. They they use it as a chance to grow, and they want to be less nervous when they do start teaching, so it's all benefiting them anyway. Some of the, some of the bigger clubs or some clubs with high rates of turnover may see the value in hiring somebody, paying them, you know, showing that they are going to make the financial commitment in hopes that the new employee will make the service commitment to that organization, it's a way to keep employees for a, on a long-term basis because you're investing something in them and hopefully they appreciate that and it becomes more of a, it's, it's a good way to establish employee strength. I will be including in the show notes for this podcast, uh, links to the different forms that are available. Uh, Bob, is it okay if I list your email if someone has questions? Yeah, sure, definitely. Perfect. Well, Bob Rebeck, I appreciate having you on the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast today. It was my pleasure to be here, John. Good to talk with you, Bob. Good to talk to you, Jennifer. Early on in your teaching and profile design, you want to try to keep it as simple as possible. Make it easy on yourself. Your students won't care. They won't really know the difference. But try to keep your profile simple and your cueing simple and clear. Focus on the nuts and the bolts, the very basics. Later, when you feel more comfortable, you can start adding elements of your style. And as Bob was talking about in uh, our interview with him, you want to go to as many classes as possible and take bits and pieces of their style, try it on yourself, see if it works with you, and then develop your own style. But really, at the very beginning, the first, I would say, six to eight weeks, stick to the basics and make it easy on yourself. 